In today's show, we're talking Dallas Mavericks with Nick Angstad of the Locked On Mavericks podcast. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble, on TikTok at RedRock underscore Beeble and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. This episode is brought to you by Fangio Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit Fangio.com slash Locked On today to get started. Thank you also for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free. We are available on all platforms. We are taking in the second group of entries for the Fantasy Basketball International Locked On Fantasy Basketball World Cup. The link is in the description. The link is in the show notes. Different set of questions. And we're going to get 144 more people this week into the World Cup. Overall, there are 48 divisions of 12 teams for this standard 9-cat league. It's a $20 entry league. If you got your uh, email for entry last week, well, congratulations. If not, Try again, and we'll get another 144 people in this week. Now, we're going to talk Dallas Mavericks, so let's get Nick in here. It's every day. Nick, welcome back to the show. Oh, it's good to be here. It's good to talk Mavs. It's good to talk about a team with no drama, made the playoffs last year, just got to come back, you know, like just got to... Just gotta make a few improvements on the edges. Like there's no, you know, nothing big. So just, Here just, just rolling it back. Just the same old stuff as usual with this team. There's never, <laughs> of course, there's never of any course. any drama. Nothing like that ever happening. No risk. No risk of anything that could happen this year. I mean, hey, smooth, smooth sailing. Absolutely smooth sailing for you. Because I'm sure all of the interviews with Jason Kidd and Kyrie Irving are just going to be perfect at all times. And just yeah. that's it. I we might as well just fin- finish the show. Right there, Nick. Because that's playing. I'm watching, just like you guys. <laughs> wow. Yeah. 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 He's okay. We're doing we're doing sound drops. Let's go. Nick's Nick's got his own soundboard. I've got mine here. He's got Jason Kidd ones, which are obviously legendary. And Nick, that just brings us to this roster because, as you said, or as you sarcastically said, they didn't make the playoffs last season, and they decided to make some changes. Whether these changes are enough, we'll find out. Because this is what's happened. Grant Williams is in. Rashawn Holmes comes over. Seth Curry's here. Olivier Maxence Prosper is here. Derek Jones Jr., Dante Exum, yeah. Derek Lively II. Now, I want to quickly say something. I tweeted this out yesterday. This show's coming out a few days after talking about, you know, it annoys me when podcasters or broadcasters in particular don't say names correctly. Now, I want you to do this for me. When you go to Mavs Media Day and to camp, I want you to talk to Omax, right? Yeah. And I want you to ask him because there is no way in my mind that his last name is Prosper. There's no way. It's <laughs> is if he's got two first names which are French and he's obviously French Canadian and it's Olivier Maxence, right? That last name's right, got to be, it has to be Prosper. And I know he's probably going to say, "Oh yeah, I answered to whatever." I want to know what it is because I want to get it right. I'll call him Prosper if his name is Prosper. There's just no way it's Prosper. Surely not. Surely, uh, surely and, it's not. And we already know that he's very specific about the Maxence. It's yeah. not Maxence like yeah. Maxence like with like the American version of it. So mm. yeah, the, the Prosper part of it does throw me off too, but. He, he likes Omax too. So, I mean, we just go Omax. Omax is good. 
Olivier Maxence is a good name. I just want to really hear that prospect. Maybe it is prosper, and maybe I'm just completely off. We'll find out, and I hope I hope that question gets asked next. It's really important. Now, in terms of other things that are important, the guys that have left. Christian Wood is gone. He hasn't gone anywhere, he's gone. but he's gone. He's gone. Reggie Bullock, McKinley Wright, Justin Holiday, Markeith Morris, Davis Bertans, and Frank Nilakina. Do you think, looking at that list, that this team got better? Abs- I mean, just looking at this list, absolutely. You look at... Where, where the Mavericks made the best improvements this offseason, I think, is the deep bench, where you look at the guys like Luca and Kyrie miss games. Kyrie misses games for varying reasons, but he does miss games because of injury as well. You know, doing fantasy. Luca misses at least 20 games a year because of fantasy. He'll probably hit the 65 games this year because of uh, the rules and because of awards, but mm. he misses games throughout the season as well. And so bringing some of those guys off the deep bench, they're bringing in, I mean, at the end of the season, it was. McKinley Wright getting real minutes. Justin Holiday getting real minutes. Markeith Morris, Davis Berton, like Frank Nilakina. We, we have the, the classic drop that just never dies. People forget about Frank. About, about Nico Harrison talking about the third ball handler on the team. And Frank Nilakina could be that guy. But taking all those guys and just looking at the guys next to them on this list, Grant Williams, Rashawn Holmes, Seth Curry, Omax, Derek Jones Jr., Exum, Derek Lively. They're all upgrades over the over on the right side. So while they didn't necessarily upgrade – I'm not sure that like the upgrades on the starting lineup are marginal. The deep bench has really, really improved. Yeah, the, the you're right about the starting lineup. Like Grant Williams basically should be replacing Reggie Bullock. We're going to talk about your right. projected starting lineup later on. The center position is still the center position, and we've got stuff to talk about with that one later on. But yeah, the, Derek Jones is a better player than Markeith Morris is at the moment. Dante Exum's really worked on his shooting over in Europe. He might not even be a rotation guy. Seth Curry is a legendary 40 plus percent three point shooter basically every season. Uh, Rashawn Holmes really struggled the last two years, but no reason that he can't get back to some level of his previous form. So there are clearly uh, ways that this this roster looks better. In terms of, now, at the end of last season, there were, of course, a bunch of uh, fake injuries on this team that kept players <laughs> out. But no one enters the season with a significant injury. Maybe Grant Williams had something to do with his, something to do with his hand, I think it was, um, yeah. uh, surgery. But everyone should be, at this point, entering the season healthy. Yeah, Grant Williams had a thumb situation that he was wearing. He was wearing a splint. He wore it at the white party. You could, you could see it like in oh, all yeah. those videos that were all over the place. But he just did an appearance at a school in, in Dallas recently, and he wasn't wearing it. So I think that he's going to be completely fine on that. And yeah, the injuries were kind of – we're watching Luca in FIBA right now. He's had a bunch of what I call Luca boo-boos, which you can use on your show if you want to, where it looks like he's injured and then he really isn't, and he comes back and he plays – and so he's had a couple of scares on knees and ankles and wrists and things like that in FIBA. And then he didn't play against the U.S. when Slovenia played the U.S. in their last like FIBA preparation game. So we're really monitoring him to see if there's anything with him. Kyrie is also playing all kinds of like pro-am and games like that. And he's also dunking like and in, like insane. He's throwing down some dunks and he's alley-oops and things like that. So I'm really cautiously watching some of that stuff because – those two are obviously super important to this team. Other than that, there's no injuries on this team to speak of. What about your projected starting five, which is, and I've got a lot of different options that they can run with, but this is what I said yeah. on as well. It's Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving. We know that's going to happen, right? Grant Williams, I think you can really you write that in in pretty permanent marker. And then sure. you've got Josh Green and Dwight Powell. Now, the debate, I guess, will be Josh Green or Tim Hardaway Jr. Green had some moments last season, and then Kyrie came across, and basically Jason Kidd were 
nah, like you, you're just not going to play. Like your role is going to be really, really, really reduced. And then, of course, it is the Dwight Powell situation, which I know there are going to be people watching this. They're going to be like, like, how many nude pics of Jason Kidd does Dwight Powell have? What's going on with him and Cuban? Are they shark tanking each other? Like, well, what's going on with these guys? Why is Dwight Powell consistently here as the starter? Why isn't it Rashawn Holmes? Why isn't it Derek Lively? I will tell you why it isn't Derek Lively because he's nowhere near ready, Nick, and we've had this discussion plenty of times. Right. I think there is a chance here that Rashawn Holmes can fill basically the Dwight Powell role, which is play solid enough defense, but just be a really awesome pick and roll partner for Luca. Yep. And I think if Holmes shows that, I, I'm not going to put words into your mouth. I am, and you can d- debate them or not. I think that you would say that that Dwight Powell versus Rashawn Holmes situation is probably the most fluid situation in that starting five. Absolutely. Listen, Dwight Powell is the nephew of Tony Braxton. He has all the dirt on Jason Kidd that you could buy. No, I'm just, I'm just wow. If that was true, I was, <laughs> wow. I was like, no, there's no way that's true. Yeah. The, the Rashawn Holmes, Dwight Powell thing is, is real. Dwight Powell is a known commodity. He has really good pick and roll chemistry with Luca. He knows the defense and he knows where to be. And he, even when he's at where he's supposed to be in the defense, he's not necessarily good <laughs> in those spots, but he does know where to be. And that's really huge for Jason Kidd. He trusts Dwight Powell. And so him and Rashawn Holmes is going to be a, a real big deal. I think Rashawn Holmes can come in and have a real shot to be the starting center. The problem is the Kings needed all the things the Mavericks did last year, rebounding, rim protection, you know, a big in some way to defend bigs. And they didn't look at him at all. They didn't look to they, – they went past him for Alex Len, for – uh, Trey Lyles at five. Obviously, Sabonis was playing a bunch of five. Like they did just they just didn't look at him at all. So I'm cautiously approaching that situation and not going all the way and saying, "Well, Rashawn Holmes is absolutely going to start." So I settled with Dwight Powell here. Th- Rashawn Holmes is he's a better rebounder. He does a couple of things better than Dwight Powell. He's got that push shot in the lane that Dwight Powell doesn't have. So there's some there's some positives I think Rashawn Holmes could really capitalize on in training camp. It is one to watch. Like Powell's obviously a really low usage player, but the thing is with Dwight Powell, and we don't notice his fantasy players don't notice it, or even um, casual fans or non-fans of the Mavericks don't realize this, is that he's just effective when he's on the court. How many yeah. years in a row do you reckon that he has had a EPM, an estimated plus minus, that has been like in the in the top 30% of all NBA players? How many years in a row do you reckon he's done it? Okay, well, I know for sure that Dwight Powell has averaged like 16 points or 16 minutes a game since we started locked on Mavs, which was in 2016. So I know it's been that long. I would guess the last three years, four years, six years in a row. He has been goodness top 28 percentile of NBA players. He's had a positive EPM since the 2018. uh, So the 2017, 2018 season. And that's why he keeps being able to start is because when he's on the court, like good stuff happens. So this is even before Luka Doncic was on this team. So he's just out there and and good stuff happens. And we can talk about big numbers, but I often will just say, like if guys can get roles, if they just do things that fit what the team needs and makes them better. And that's why Powell continues to play. Like he's never going to light it up. He's not a usage guy. He's not going to get big defensive numbers, but four, six years in a row, good things have happened since he's been on the court. And you know, Jason Kidd obviously has a trust in that. Mark Cuban has a trust in that. Nico Harrison's developing a trust. But yeah, I think this is a real chance for Holmes to have a crack at that, but there's no guarantee we're going to get there. But what there is a guarantee of, Nick, is that today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Yeah. Football season has kicked off and FanDuel is giving you the chance to win all season long because right now, when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you get bonus bets every time they win in the regular season. 
You pick any team to win the Super Bowl, and you get bonus bets for every victory. Now, Nick, let me ask you, would you put a Super Bowl winner bet on the Dallas Cowboys, because you're in Dallas, or would you get more bonus bets if you put it on your Cincinnati Bengals? Oh, it's got to be the Bengals, for sure. I, I grew up in Cincinnati. That That's my team. You get... You get wins in the regular season, and you could get credit for the, the Super Bowl. Like, I know I could get credit for the Super Bowl with the Bengals. I don't know if I could get it with the Cowboys. Like, that's what you're betting on at that point. So if you go with the Bengals, you can rack up those regular season victories, get your bonus bets in, and then use them on spreads and money lines and player props and over-unders and more. So visit fanjuelcom slash locked on and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sports book. That's fanjuelcom slash locked on. And don't forget to gamble responsibly. Nick, the rest of your rotation. So, Rashawn Holmes, Tim Hardaway, we talked about Muxy Kleber, Seth Curry, and Jaden Hardy. I also 100% agree with that grouping of players, but people will note that the two first-round picks that the Dallas Mavericks currently have are not likely to be in that top 10 guy rotation because this is a team that, despite missing the playoffs last season, they have they have aims and they have goals of being very, very good. And 19-year-old skinny centers and picks in the 20 as first-round guys like Prosper, who maybe have some shooting difficulties, they're just not better than these other guys at this stage. They've got this weird guard trio of Tim Hardaway, Seth Curry, Jaden Hardy. They kind of do a lot of the same things. You sure. can put the ball in their hands, but they can't really do a ton with it. They can really shoot it off you know, the catch, off the dribble a little bit. Like They can do a lot of things like that, but they're all kind of redundant. This Mavericks lineup makes it really look like, and this is true, that they've been trying to trade Tim Hardaway Jr. They've been trying to find some kind of trade for him. They offered him for Clint Capella. They offered him for, you know, a uh, a Jarrett Allen, and those came back, and it, it didn't work for him. And so a Tim Hardaway Jr. trade may happen before training camp, may happen, but it probably will happen during the season. I mean, they're just continuing to move on that to try and move him somewhere else. Uh, but yeah, this is the lineup right here. I, I I can see some of these guys, an Omax or a Derek Jones Jr. breaking into this because they have to be better defensively. And if you look at this team and you look at this group right here, you're like, how are they better defensively than they were last year? And there's not really an answer besides, well, Josh Green will step up as a guy that guards the you know pick and roll ball handlers. Grant Williams is going to be better than what you know Reggie Bullock was giving him last year after his whole run in the playoffs. And you're like, okay, well then, and then maybe with Maxi, like you're feeling good. It's just, not, it's just not enough for them to be, to be better than last year. I think we look at the top 10 guys there, but like 11, 12, and 13 are probably Derek Jones, Dante Exum, and Omax, who are Omax, all, yeah. all defensive guys. Like yeah, they're all That's what they focus on. That's what they're good at. So if Seth Curry sits out a game because he sprains his ankle for the 20th time or Tim Hardaway is traded. So the guy who comes in he, he is a defensive player and you know, there'll be mixes and matches going on there. So they've got this situation where those guys are, are the best five players, but... You're right, the defense lacks, and there are some other options. I, I still think that someone like Exum or Jones would probably get the early nod over uh, over Omax in, in that rotation, and Lively is going to be sort of uh, sitting around doing a, not a huge amount, I, I would guess, in that in that second. I think he's going to be really good. I love the pick of it. I love trading back in the draft to do that as well. I thought what they did in the draft with their moves was fantastic uh, as well. But I think that you know, with Holmes, Powell, uh, McGee, Kleber, Grant Williams in a pinch. There's so many options that can play at center that they don't need Derek Lively out there and he's not going to be ready and they just, yeah, in maybe in year two, it's ready to go, but we're not going to see a huge amount this season. Yeah, Derek Lively is a long-term play. He's the perfect center for this team. You, you look at him and say, well, he's 7-1 with a 7-7 wingspan, a great defender in college. He should be the one that steps in and, you know, Isaac, my co-host, has even made the case that he should start from day one. The problem is, 
I've said this stat like a million times on our show. There's only been two centers in the last like 10, 15 years, rookie centers that have started over 30 games on winning teams. Do you know who those centers are? Okay, so they've started over 30 games. Over 30 games. On winning teams. Their team teams. was over 500. As a rookie center. One of them is on a Jason Kidd team. Oh, Jesus. Um, uh, um, uh, Mason Plumley. Don Maker is wow. one of them. Okay, Jesus. Yeah. Wow. He started 30. That was that season with Jason Kidd on the Bucks where he didn't want to start Greg Monroe. Like, yeah. Greg Monroe played every game and came off the bench every game. Yeah, and Thon played and then, about 18 minutes, didn't he? Right, yeah, like barely any at all. Yeah. And then the other one is Miles Turner, who played for the, the Pacers uh, with Paul George and Monte Ellis. And, like, I bring that up a lot because it's just not – often that a rookie center comes in starts a lot plays a lot and the team wins and this team really wants to win yeah exactly and that, that's why people have to look I, I with isaac saying yeah derek lively should start i get it right if this team didn't have the expectations of where right. they were like put him in there because he's going to be the starter that's the plan but i just don't think it's going to work out that way initially let's look at the players on this team that are under the age of 23 you got Josh Green, who's 22. Hardy's 21. Omax is 21. Lively's 19. Mike Miles on a two-way is 21. I do want to talk about Josh Green because he played 26 minutes a night last season. We both expect him to be a starter this season. But is a starter for Josh Green, is it playing the big 33, 34 that the other starters or, or the other two guards in Kyrie and Luca play? Or is it going to be just mished and maxed, mashed and mixed and whatever with Hardaway and Curry and Hardy and all these sort of players to sort of keep him around that same sort of overall minute load as last season? It's tough to call because it's up to it's up to it's up to Jason Kidd and uh, he doesn't, Jason he doesn't Kidd make was, the kids he doesn't make the call, mate. He's just watching. What do you expect him to do? Jason Kidd is the arbiter of this this quote. I have to apologize that you felt that he should have played more. That quote was two years ago about Reggie Bullock when he first joined the team. He was playing like 17 minutes a game to start the season. And I was like, hey, you guys brought this guy in. He's perfect. Why are you not playing him? Mm -hmm. And that's what he said to me. <laughs> and so that's the hard part with it. There's also, there was whispers and buzz that Tim McMahon reported and others that uh, people in the Mavs front office were happy that Reggie Bullock was in the Grant Williams deal because that means that he can't play Reggie Bullock uh, yeah. way more and has to play Josh Green now and has kind of forced his hand in that. And so Josh Green has kind of been elevated into the spot. We thought that he would be elevated into a definite starting spot after Dorian was traded. Kind of happened, kind of didn't, kind of, you know, went back and forth. Then he had some kind of injury stuff, which you can decide if it was, you know, real or not across the board. But <laughs> Josh Green now, I think, is a 30-minute-per-game starter. They just don't have enough defensive guys and even enough defensive guys that are reliable enough to take any minutes away from him. I mean, is Tim Hardaway going to take minutes from him? Maybe, but they're, they're going to run Luka, Kyrie, Tim Hardaway lineups and think that they're going to be better than last year. Like, that's their plan. Yeah, that's I really have a hard time believing that a, a serious NBA team is going <laughs> to make that decision, which... Hey, maybe they're not, but but yeah. So <laughs> awesome. I, I do think Josh Green like steps up into that starting role, plays thirty minutes a night, and that's it. Yeah, I think I think he has to. But you know, we again we thought that last season we thought there'd be that elevation towards the end, and that just didn't happen, which was frustrating. Jaden Hardy looks like a real steal in the second round, pick thirty seven last season. It is hard for me to see him. Um, it's hard for me to see him thriving with the other guys on this team, like Luca and Kyrie, because. I think he's a good player. I think he's shown quite a bit, but he, he sort of does need to be someone who has the ball in his hands. And we had ample evidence last season, Nick, is that when those guys were out, 
Hardy went, all right, let's go. And he could run things, he could shoot, he could score, he could pass. But when those guys played, he was marginalized because it's duplicative. Like, what did you need him to do in those situations, especially when Kyrie and Luca are being um, staggered through the lineup? So how does how does he how can he work next to those players or in conjunction with those players? I'm actually going to push back on what you said earlier. I think he's actually better without the ball as like an off-ball type guy that's a secondary scorer, creator type guy. We saw him at Summer League. They really tried to push him as point guard, ball in the hands, like, hey, let's make this guy do something that he's uncomfortable with, and he really struggled. I mean, he scored a bunch. He scored, what, 24 points a game, but he turned it over. He just wasn't efficient and all that. When he played next to Luka and or Kyrie, he was really good last year. That's where we saw him go from the inefficient guy in the G League the year before to a 40% three-point shooter to a guy off the catch. Like, he's getting wide-open shots, and he's like, hey, I'm going to take any shot that I, that I can get. And so he did work really well off those guys. It's, again, the defensive end because he does a lot of things that Tim Hardaway Jr. does. So does he give you enough defensively? Does he give you enough off the dribble to make it – worth it for you know for him to be to play like 15 minutes or so a night or 10 minutes or so a night and so that's a decision they have to make uh, but i think he plays a lot when one of luca or Kyrie are off you know off the court they need one more score they need one more shooter and, and that's what hardy can do this is why they need to trade tim hardaway because i fear that when one right. of those guys sits out that hardaway will just go in there play 31 minutes and hardy will play like 20 21 minutes instead of if tim's not there then Jaden Hardy jumps in, plays a nice little 30-minute burst and gets some real reps in there and is able to develop that that skill next to those guys because you know, those guys are going to miss plenty of time. We know that. Um, all right. Was last season that bad? We know that they missed the playoffs. We know that they copped the fine from the NBA. We know that they yeah. got focused on for tanking two games, which... Yeah, look, it was pretty egregious, but their, their error was saying it out loud. Like, that's, that's what the error was because... Look at Portland, look at Indiana, look at every team who down the stretch, look at Charlotte. They did the same things, right? That Dallas, I think people go, well, you've got these good players. What are you doing? But they just said it out loud, and that was the problem. But people go, well, that's what happens when you get Kyrie. But I've always pushed back on that, and I haven't always pushed back on the, the things that Kyrie has done. But to me, the Kyrie trade was the problem, but Kyrie wasn't the problem, Nick, because Kyrie just did what he does, right? He's an excellent, efficient offensive player. There was a little bit of issue at the first part, and maybe you correct me if I'm wrong, with him and Luke, a little bit of my turn, your turn sort of stuff. But yeah, right. the reason that things went south after the Kyrie trade is because they traded all their defenders away. And that's not on Kyrie. Like, you didn't bring him and go, Kyrie, can you please be uh, prime Kawhi Leonard here and shut guys down? He can't do that. So it wasn't his play or his locker room stuff or anything that derailed the season. It was the fact that they just had no one to defend. Is that is that how you would view that? Yeah, you said they traded all their defenders. They traded one defender in Dorian, but that's how like that's how brittle their their defense was last year. Where if you trade one of our guys that has to play 30, 35 minutes a night for us, then all of a sudden our defense falls apart. And they did trade a, a versatile defender in Dorian that could shoot the three, like was just really good for them, really good in the playoff run the year before that. But the like it ended with Luca and Kyrie. Those two losses against the Hornets. It was a week before they yeah, actually yeah. tanked, where they lost those two games in a row. Dennis Smith Jr., ironically, actually hit a game-winning shot against them in the first game at home. I was there at that game, and you're just looking like, did this team really just lose to the Hornets without like Lamelo and a bunch of du- and Hayward and like a bunch of dudes? And Dennis Smith Jr. really just did that. And after they lost the second one, I knew the season was over. And so by the end, you know, when they tank, they tanked those two games, and they absolutely did. Everyone was freaking out about how egregious it was. And I was like, they have to do this. Their season is over. They're not good enough. They weren't going to make the playoffs. They didn't make the play-in anyway. And even if they won both those games, they wouldn't have made the play-in. But 
last year was as bad as as it was because you have a top five player and you miss the play-in and the playoffs. Mm. That that's bad. I mean, just looking at it at that, like framing it in that way, it's bad on Jason Kidd. It's bad on the front office. It's bad on on everything. And Luca has some fault in this because he didn't come into to the season really in shape. I don't think his shape got much better throughout the season either. They were really bad in fourth quarters. This team, Josh, they played 55 clutch games last year. Like that's only happened twice in the last 10 years. It just doesn't happen very often. They lost 12 games last year by one, two, or three points. Mm. Like 12 games. Like think about all the things that have to go wrong for you to lose that many close games. That doesn't happen very, that's like five times in the last 10 years that that's happened. And so they really lost on the margins a lot last year, but it was that bad. And I think there's many reasons we can point to it, but uh, it was a bad season and a failure. I think we'll get to that in a second about the the close losses because often that sort of stuff um, reverts. Like that is not a thing that necessarily from your ear from your voice to God's ears, Josh. Yeah, like that that like <laughs> you know, that's where net rating comes in is a really interesting uh, number to take a look at because that takes into account overall strength of the team versus those close losses and close wins, which even out over a period of time. And if you win all of them one year, then the odds are you're probably going to lose more than you win the, the season following and, and vice versa. All right, but that does bring us into this question. You talked about some blame on Luka. Is building around Luka Doncic hard? Because this is a guy that obviously is a high usage player, 36% usage last season. He averaged 32 points. He dominates everything that you need to do offensively. He also dominates defensively because you need to put guys around him to defend because he has some struggles in that area. And people often say, well, that's hard. People maybe don't like playing with him because they don't touch the ball enough. Is do you think there's an, uh, an accuracy to that? And if so, yeah, it, would the team be better served by Luca deferring a little bit more? You don't want he's just so good, but it's hard to do. But would it be better yeah. for him to defer, get Kyrie it, doing more of that stuff, dropping it to a thirty, a thirty-two usage sort of a player, and letting others get more involved? Building around Luca is hard. I think that uh, he he makes players that aren't as good look good, but then he also can take the wind out of the sails of some players that that want the ball a little bit more. Now, the Mavericks haven't had a ton of players like that. He worked really well with, with well, he worked fine with Kyrie. Like, Kyrie and him really figured it out. But it took Brunson a little while to figure out the rhythm of playing with Luka because you don't get the ball every time. You don't get a touch every possession. He hasn't figured out the Jokic style of, all right, everyone's going to get a touch. Everyone's going to feel good about themselves, and we're all going to go out there and have fun, right? Like, he's he's out there to cut your throat, to slit your throat, to go out there and win the game. And most of the time, the best option for the Mavericks is for him to do something and for him to go out there yeah. and score, for him to go out there and, like, make a basket, take a step back three. Like, sometimes that is the best option for them, and he takes that option. And so sometimes that works against them in, you know, not everybody's getting a touch, not everybody's doing that. Donnie Nelson, on his way out after he got let go, for the Mavericks, that's the, one of his parting shots was the next step for Luca is to learn how to be a teammate, to learn how to take that next step and to be a point guard and, and have that mental clock in your head and all that. So there is some things that, that make it hard. But look at that team that made the Western Conference Finals a couple of years ago. I mean, even Jalen Brunson, he wasn't Jalen Brunson that we knew from last year. No. I mean, that, that team was not that team was not a Western Conference Finals talented like type team that we're used to. Uh, but Luca is that good that he can take your margin of error. And if you put the right stuff around him, you coach him the right way and everything works out and he's working on all cylinders. Like you can do really great things. 
The problem is when it's not going that way, then all of a sudden he's your margin of error. <laughs> if he's the one that's not performing, then you're just really struggling like they did last year. It also can lead to problems that when someone is just so um, so dominant with the ball that when he's missing, then the other guys go, oh, well, what, what do we do now? Like we don't, yeah. we don't, we've never done this. We don't know how to do it now. I guess again, having Kyrie there can help more in that because Kyrie is going to be handling the ball quite a bit. But people are going to be interested to see this from a fantasy perspective because we didn't get a huge sample of Luca and Kyrie playing together. If you look at the numbers of both of those guys, they weren't gigantic hits, but they did drop a little bit. We saw Luca's assist rate drop slightly. His usage dropped slightly. Kyrie's usage dropped slightly. They all it, it, there was changes. Did you notice that from a um, observational standpoint as well that Luca wasn't you know running every single possession the way that he was beforehand. Yeah, and that's what you want, right? You want yeah. somebody to take the pressure off of Luca in a way to have him not take it 20, 25 shots a game to have him. He doesn't have to score thirty two points a game, you know, to win every game because when he was doing that throughout the the game, got to the fourth quarter and he didn't have it. I mean, we saw. No clutch moments from Luca last year besides the Knicks game where he made that like he, no, <laughs> like he took that he took that fake free throw and then got it back and did all that. Like that was the only real clutch game that we saw last year. The rest were just failures across the board. That's why they played 55 clutch games and didn't win a ton of them. So uh yeah, you are gonna see a little bit of a, a drop off. And hopefully, you know, Luca and Kyrie stay healthy, they stay healthy together. They only played 16 games together. There were five and eleven in those games, and there was some weird stuff in the clutch with them with you know, your turn, my turn, like you alluded to earlier, that was real. They were trying to not step on each other's toes. Kyrie, I thought, did a good job of coming in and knowing this is Luca's team. He's the guy. He's the best player on the team. I'm going to try to compliment him. But at some points, the Mavericks needed him to come in and be a little bit selfish. It's almost like the the Ted Lasso, Jamie Tart. Like, hey, we need you to be a prick. Like, we're all going to flick you off on the sidelines because we need you to go in and do the thing that you're good at. And so there is going to be some of that. They've got to feel it out. And I'm excited to see a training camp with both of them to try and figure that out. But from a fantasy perspective, yeah, like their numbers are going to go down just a little. I'm going to touch on this more when I do more fantasy-focused stuff on the Mavs, but uh, Luca's assist rate went from 11 per 100 possessions to 10.2 in the minutes he shared with Kyrie versus when he was off with Kyrie. His usage went from 37.5 to 35.5 when he was without Kyrie versus when he played with Kyrie. And those are small changes, but they're significant changes still. Like yeah, uh, from 11 down to 10 in assist rate, is it's almost 10% change. And that's, that is going to have an impact. But because we only saw it for 16 games, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to hold. But when you think something's going to happen through, well, he probably doesn't have as many assist opportunities and he doesn't get as much usage with Kyrie there. And then it does play out. Well, it makes you think, well, it probably will continue at a similar level or at least in that downwards area um, as we move forward. So it is something to pay attention to, but we may, didn't see it a huge amount last year. Who's a, uh, who's a breakout candidate on this team, Nick? I think it's Josh Green. We've talked about that a lot on our show as somebody that can really break out. He's the guy that, like we said, he's probably going to have a big role in this team, has an opportunity to have a big role in this team. He can also do a couple of things that not a lot of other players on this team can do. He can put it on the floor. He's got a little bit of a floater game that he can go to. He's got, you know, he added the three-point shot where he can, he shot 40% last year. He was the, there were some scouts that were joking with me throughout the season when Josh would hit a three, it would be like, oh, that's the leading scorer, like the leading three-point shooter in, in the NBA. He was for like the first two months of the season or something like that. And yeah. so he's got all of that kind of stuff. And he also is the what I call like the oil of the offense. He, he can pass a little bit. He's made some incredible passes in his first three years. And so just having that player that can hit some guys that are open and having him and Kyrie get up, you know, some time under their belts as well. He's going to find Kyrie cutting and Kyrie finding open space. And I think he's going to benefit from some of that. So 
from a scoring from a scoring perspective, an assist perspective, I think Josh Green could have a breakout year. What about a regression candidate? Which player do you think has a chance of uh, dropping off a little bit? Oh, the, the only answer is probably Luca because can anyone else drop off more than that? Yeah. <laughs> they did last year. I think Tim Hardaway oh, Christian, can. Hey, my answer is Christian Wood. <laughs> oh, but can Christian Wood actually drop off from last year? I don't know. He was he was not particularly he good. He doesn't have a team. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I think uh, Tim Hardaway is a, is a good one. He's 31 already, Tim Hardaway, and yeah. played probably too many minutes last season. What did he get to? 30 minutes a game. Like I'd be pretty, pretty doubtful that he's able to play that much this season. And do they want him to do that, right? We looked mm. at the redundancy of they signed Seth Curry. Jaden Hardy's taking another step forward. They need defense. They're not getting it from any of three of those guys. And so maybe somebody – I wouldn't be surprised if like a Derek Jones Jr. makes his way into, into the rotation early in the season because Jason Kidd just needs somebody else to guard somebody out there. And so if that happens, then does Tim Hardaway lose some time? You know, Who, who loses time out, out of that? This I think the answer to this question is the same one. Who's the most likely player to be traded? It's probably, it's probably Tim Hardaway, isn't it? Yeah, it's absolutely Tim. The the one thing, if the Mavericks really want to improve next year for both Jarrett Allen and Clint Capella, those trades that they tried to go after this offseason, those teams asked for Josh Green or Jaden Hardy in those deals. So if they get desperate, let's say they start off the season not great and they start losing a bunch of games, and they're like, okay, we've got to stabilize and, and grab somebody. We're getting desperate here. Then it could be a Josh Green or a Jaden Hardy. And I think Jaden Hardy would be more likely to be traded than, than Josh Green, but uh, that's like a secondary one, but Tim's absolutely the answer. All right, let's have a look at the wins because last season, obviously, it was bad, 38 and 44. But like we said, like that, a positive net rating, 0.3 positive. That's 18th in the NBA. So, yeah, that's it's still not fantastic, but it also indicates that maybe there's two to three extra wins there they left on the table. Vangel has got their win set at 44 and a half. And Nick, we both went over, but somehow I am more optimistic than you are. You went, <laughs> I don't know how that happened. You went to 45. I've gone to 47. I'm all in. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for Kyrie and Luca. I'm ready. Give it to me. 47 wins. Let's go. Am I the first locked on host that had less wins for their team than you did? I think David had less wins than me for, for the Jazz. I think I think he did. Okay. That, yeah, that one makes sense. Yeah. I think I was at like 26 and he was like, oh, maybe it's 24, but yeah, I was surprised to see you come in uh, lower than me, but it is a big jump. I've gone nine games high, but again, I'm looking at the net rating. I'm looking at yeah. a full season of Kyrie. I'm looking at hopefully more competent uh, center play. I'm looking at um, hopefully more Josh Green. My reason that I'm skeptical of even my number there is that I just, Jason Kidd, man, I, I just, I, yeah, he, <laughs> he comes in year one. Oh, it's all well and good. And then it always happens. Everything seems to drop off. And but that's what worries me. All right, not not me being the one that that defends Jason Kidd here. I won't always tell you guys the truth. But here we go. I think Jason Kidd gave up on this team early last year. I think there was a certain point where he looked at, well, my answer. I looking around. I'm looking around at some of the answers on my team, and the answer is play Christian Woodmore. Yeah. And yeah, damn enough. it, and damn it, I don't want that to be the answer. And I think he gave up on this team because there was a moment last year that was after those those Hornets games where Tim Kalashov of ESPN and Dallas Morning News, he asked Jason Kidd, are you guys concerned about missing the playoffs? And he goes, we won't be concerned until we do. And then Kalashov was like, well, you might miss the playoff. Like, that might actually happen. He's like, well, if we do, then I'll be concerned. Like, that's just not the talk of a coach that's in a playoff, like run that's in a playoff hunt or like is coaching games that matter at this point. And obviously you have the I'm not playing. I'm watching just like you guys. That was earlier in the season. Like I think he just gave up on this team at a certain point because he didn't believe that they were going to win. This guy, you know, Jason Kidd is a really smart guy that looks at 
players and knows what they can do because he he maximized players his whole career as he was coming up and as he was a player. Like he knew exactly what you can do. What did he, who was the player that he told just run, I'll get you eight points a game. Like that was a, that's a famous Jason Kidd quote of him just saying, hey, just run out in the break. I'll get you eight points a game. He knows what these guys can do. He understands what he can get with a team. He did really good his first year. I thought he coached really well and he gave did. them an identity with the Luka, J- the Jalen Brunson team that made it to the Western Conference Finals. And then last year, he just couldn't see it. He lost the plot with a team and decided to just like throw it away and never, never try again. So maybe he comes back and is rein, reinvigorated with a, a Grant Williams, Luca, Kyrie. Okay, I can see it now. I can see a path. Uh, I can see him. I can see him fighting with Grant Williams. Grant Williams seems like a uh, an interesting personality. So we'll see exactly how that one goes. Yeah. But Nick, let's uh, let's have some fun that doesn't involve Jason Kidd. Probably we're gonna oh, we're gonna play we're gonna play the gritty here. And it is Mavericks related. We uh, match. You, you know how the game works. It oh. is. Mavericks and Raptors, Bucks, Heat, Blazers and Rockets. And the last one is 30% usage. Now, I haven't explained to you. You might have listened to some of my other shows. I don't know how much you love me. But you might have heard the the reasoning behind or how we score this. And we're looking at the games played from the player, each player on each franchise. And then I take the lower, the lower of those two numbers and then I just rank them. And so if someone played 400 games for the Mavericks and then made a one-game appearance for Toronto, the one is what counts, and that gets you the low score, which is what we want. The last one is okay. 30% usage. So they have to have a season of 30% usage while a member of the Dallas Mavericks. No games played qualify. They might have come in, played three games, and chucked up 20 shots in five minutes in a tanking game. But we're also ranking that on who has played the fewest career games for the Mavericks. So Ooh. where do you want to start? So I, I'm picking I'm picking who has less games, not necessarily like the the regular grid is who picks this player less, right? Yeah, because it's only you that's playing, so there's no one you're competing only, against. It's only me. Yep. I'll go Mavs Heat. Can I go Tim Hardaway Senior? Tim Hardaway Senior. Okay. Mavs Heat. Let's get to my he, list. I don't think he played as many. I know he played with Dirk, and I know he obviously played with the Heat. So I'm gonna go. He played less games for the Mavs. That's not a that's not a bad guess. He played 54 for Dallas. So that gets you that gets you a score of like 29. So he's sort of in the middle of the pack there. 29.61 yeah. for that because he played 54 for Dallas. If we look at what the highest score was, was Jamal Mashburn. He was would have got you the worst score possible. So played for the Heat. Jamal Mashburn played 180 games for the Heat. Um, let's see, look at some good ones that you could have picked. Kevin Willis, because he played um, wow. five games for Dallas. Josh McRoberts played two games for the Mavericks. That oh, been, the hair. That would have been a good one. Um, Eddie Curry also with two games for the Mavericks would have been a, a pretty good pick there. All right, what are we doing next? Can I do – I'll just I'll do this one just because we need to. Can I go Boban with the Mavs and the Rockets? Mavs and the Rockets, Boban. All right, you can do that. Obviously, Boban is a Rockets legend at the moment. Um, <laughs> that gets you oh, – it's not – he played 30 games. For the Rockets, I didn't think you got into that many. Let's have a look what score that is. 20.27 for yeah. Boban there. It's now, better. what is who would have been the worst pick for you there? Jason Terry, of course, because he played obviously a ton for oh, Dallas, but he also yeah. played 150 games for Houston. A great option would have been Chucky Brown, who played one game for the Mavericks. You made um, that name up. Yeah, Pat, Chucky Brown, I think, has played for like 12 teams. He's always a good grid game guy. <laughs> um, there's some guys here I've never heard. Oh, what about, what about the uh, old mate Ray Spalding? who played one game for Dallas and two, two for the Rockets. I don't remember him playing for the Rockets, but apparently he played two games for That's the Rockets. And then four, 
I said Dwight Bryce Balding's brother used to text his highlights to Isaac all the time. <laughs> <laughs> what about what about um Dwight Powell 1.0, Brandon Wright, who played one game for the Rockets? Yeah. He played one oh, game for the Rockets and almost 200 for the Mavs. All right, what are we doing next? Oh, let's the 30% usage is really throwing me off because you just want to do Luca. I don't know, like did uh, Dirk probably hit 30 at some point, but that's a that's a bad guess. Um, can I go? Did Roddy B ever did did Roddy B did Roddy B ever hit thirty percent? Because I feel like there's a, there's one year he may have just like just Roddy B just broken did not hit thirty percent, Nick. So you missed that one. I tell you what, you, you well you couldn't have used one because you already used him. But Boban had a, a season of thirty usage for the Mavericks. <laughs> um, uh, who else is on here? Uh, Kalena Azubuke had a season for the Mavericks. We, we played three games for the Mavericks, but he had 30% usage in that time. Yeah. Um, Luca wouldn't have been a bad answer because he hasn't played that many games because, of course, Dirk skews the scale having played right, 1,500 games there. Who else was an interesting name on that list? Um, someone by the name of Bruno Sundov. I don't know who that is. Jamal McGlaw apparently had a 30% usage season for the Mavs in like a handful wow. of games as well. All right, we've got the Raptors, we've got the Bucks, we've got the Blazers. The tough one. Uh, Bucks, I'll go Wes Matthews. Where's oh yeah, Wes? Because the Mavericks are the ones that signed him straight after the Achilles, they, didn't they? They signed him to the deal, and then they gave him more money just out of nowhere. Like, oh, that's <laughs> right. It was one of those. Unfortunately for you, Nick, Wes Matthews is, yeah, the, just, is the worst possible answer you could have given me because he played a lot of games for both of these franchises. So he played... Um, oh. He played... 258 for Dallas, and then he played 168 for um, for Milwaukee. You could have gone with OJ Mayo, who would have got you Ooh. a 48 score. You could have gone with Steve Novak, who played seven games. You could have even gone for your mate Christian Wood, who played thir- 13, <laughs> 13 games for the for the Bucks. That would have been a good score. Um, who else is an interesting score on this list? Uh, Chucky Brown again would have, would have been here. How about um, Nuggets general manager Calvin Booth? Wow, played for the Bucks and the Mavs. And even Andrew Bogut was on that list too <laughs> after his 26-game career for Dallas. All right, we've got Portland and Toronto. I'm drawing blanks on these. Um, I'll tell you what, for the Raptors, there are not many players. There are 30 players that have played for both franchises. Yeah, there's nobody that really stands out. On the, on the Blazers, I want to keep saying Dennis Smith, but he never played for them. He just had a good game against them. Uh... Yeah, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on these. Sure, you sure Dennis Smith didn't play for Portland? He he. Okay, I'll do Dennis Smith. Yeah, he did play for Portland. Um, he played like I think I think it was last season before, like as he was sort of coming back into the league and then signed with Charlotte. Or not last season, the season right. before before he signed with Charlotte. So he played th- right before he decided there. to be a cornerback in the NFL. That was the one, <laughs> and then then Charlotte <laughs> saved him from being a. A, a cornerback and now he's now he's in Brooklyn so the last one we're looking for is Toronto this is tough there's not a huge amount of players as I said with this uh, the play for these two teams but there are some names that this there are some obvious names here and actually an obvious name that scores pretty well an there's an obvious name there's an obvious name that, that the, scores horribly but there are there are some there are some clear crossovers here obviously played for the Raptors played for the Mavs mm. uh, the obvious one is, is Vince Carter I don't know if I want that to be my answer because he played a bunch of mm-hmm. games for the Raptors, obviously. But I've got one in my back pocket if I need. <laughs> yeah, that, that 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 is a correct answer, quite clearly. Is is it the best answer or is it the worst? 
I think it's the worst one. Yeah, I think it is too. <laughs> oh, I, know, I can't I imagine. Know I can't imagine a player that played more. No. Uh, I can't think of anybody else though. So, I'll go with the worst one. Well, Nick, you're going to grab yourself your third score of 100 there because that is Vince Carter with a score of 100. But how about Sean Marion? Played for the Raptors. How much did he play for the Raptors? 27. He was like a mid-season trade. Was it? I can't remember which trade it was a part of. I think he went Phoenix to Toronto. Maybe. I don't know if Hedo Turkle was involved in that. He played like half a season for Toronto, I'm pretty sure. Um, Oliver Miller played for Dallas for half a season. Um, Doug Christie played seven games for the Mavs. Alex- mm. Alexis Ajinsa. Yeah. Quincy Acey. That's another name for you. Oh, that's Raphael's boy. Um, Charlie Villanueva. Oh, I still believe in Charlie B. What about Delon Wright? That was uh, that should have worked. Oh, that would have just, been, yeah, that, that would have been that would have been a good one. It, his signing should have worked for Dallas, but unfortunately, it did you not. Know, you know, it's harder when the lights are bright on you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you, Jared Allen. Um, Nick, that that's it. We're done. Thank you for coming on and chatting about the Mavs with me. Tell us what's cracking over at Locked On Mavs at the moment. Uh, Locked On Mavs, don't hold my grid game against me. Check us out five days a week throughout the offseason. Isaac and I are covering all kinds of Mavs stuff. We're also covering. Luca with Slovenia in FIBA, Josh Green and Dante Exum with Australia as well. Lockdown Maps, wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I'm going to see Josh Green and Dante Exum tonight in the uh, warm-up game, oh, which is uh, yeah, oh. five five days since after this has been uh, released. Or, yeah, yeah, I'm going tonight, and this show will come out, and we'll see how they go, but I'm going to watch them tonight, so that should be good. Nick, thank you once again for coming on. Good deal. And that will do it for me today. Don't forget to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. And on YouTube, thumb it up and leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.